Welcome to the Antioch Austin podcast. Wherever you're listening from, we hope this message encourages you. For more information about Antioch Austin, please check our website at AntiochATX.com. Good morning. As JD said, my name is Chris. I'm one of our pastors, and we are in week three of Original Gangsters. If you've not been here, what we're doing is we're looking at the five major prophets. The five major prophets are five books in the Old Testament, which is the first part of the Bible if you're new to the Bible. And God raised up a a group of prophets over about a 400-year period, and he did it so that he could speak to his people because they were going astray. And, they, and he had something to say to them. And the five major prophets are the, are, the, are the ones that had the most to say. And so we've been looking at these and really looking at what did God have to say to the people then? And what does he have to say to us today? And so we're on week three here, Lamentations. And there's some questions about who wrote Lamentations. Many scholars believe that it was Jeremiah. But there's a few that believe it might have been Taylor Swift. And so we're going to look today at a question of, was it Lamentations or Taylor Swift? You ready to play the game with me this morning? So here's how it's going to work. There's going to be a line that pops up. And there's going to need to be a vote in the room of, is it Lamentations or is it Taylor Swift? Are you ready to play? Let's play. All right, here we go. Lamentations or Taylor Swift. She cries herself to sleep at night, tears soaking her pillow. All right, I want to see, raise of hands if you think this is Taylor Swift. It's a pretty strong half. Let's see, who is it? Lamentations one. Good try, good try, good try. Let's go again. Let's go again. What do we have here? Your knives and swords are weapons that you use against me. All right, surely this is Lamentations. Any takers? Lamentations? Lamentations? No? What do we say? Mean. That is mean. That's a harsh word, Taylor. All right, let's do a couple more here. What do we have? Your eyes, my eyes are blind with tears. My stomach is is in a knot. All right, vote for Taylor Swift. What do you think? Is it Taylor Swift? No, no? Okay, let's see. Lamentations 2. Wow. All right, I think we've got one more in us. What do we got here? You're like a lion ready to pounce. What do we think? Taylor? Here we go. Lamentations 3. Lamentations 3. Isn't it amazing that we can't tell the difference? <laughs> you know, it's a fun, fun game. But the, funny, the real funny thing is, is that sometimes a lyric can put language to what you're going through. See, that's what Taylor Swift figured out, is that a lyric can put language to what people are going through. And it wasn't her idea. You know, Lamentations is actually a book of songs. They're sad songs. They're grieving songs. But it's a book of songs where people are pouring out their heart. It's putting language to something. Sometimes we go through life, and I know that everybody in here has had at least some moment in their life 
where what you're feeling on the inside, the emotions that you're going through, feel chaotic. They feel utterly out of control. There is confusion happening in your life. You have questions that you're not sure where to get the answers from. And all of it is just welling up inside you. And then you hear something, and it connects. And you start to, oh, that puts language. That puts order around the chaos that, what, that I've been going through. See, that's what Lamentations is. It is putting order and language to the chaos of what people are feeling. See, this book was written after all of Jeremiah's prophecies of what would happen, that if the people didn't turn back to God, that they were going to be conquered by Babylon, that their city and their temple were going to be burned, and they were going to be carried off into exile. All of that, he said, is going to happen. Now, the people didn't believe him because they were the people of God. They were the chosen ones. They were living in the promised land. But, and so they didn't listen to him, and so they didn't turn back. And they find themselves actually living in the reality of what Jeremiah said was going to happen. And they're writing these songs because the world around them has gone chaotic. Their world has crumbled beneath them, and they're trying to put language to what actually is f- they're feeling inside. See, the, the major prophets have a consistent theme throughout them. And the consistent theme is that God doesn't do distance. That no matter what we're going through, no matter where we're at, God doesn't do distance. God draws near. The people for generations had been rebelling and running away from God, but God was intent on being near to them. So God drew near, and he told them, hey, if you live this way, you'll be able to draw near to me. I want to be near to you. I do distance. And what that, what the encouragement of lamentation should be for us is that even when we're at our worst, even when our questions feel the loudest, even when our accusations against God are screaming at us, God still doesn't do distance. God still draws near. God wants to be close to you in every season, in everything that you're going through. God's not scared of your emotions. God's not scared of what you might have to say on your worst day. God's not scared of your questions. See, sometimes we put on a mask we put on the pretty face and think, I've got I've to act this way. I've got to do this thing. And it's not really what's happening. Really what's happening is there's confusion. There's questions. There's doubts. There's wonderings. There's, there's anger about how things are going in our life. And, and God's saying, I'm not scared of that. That's what Lamentations tells us, is that God is not scared of what you're going through. He's okay with you being in that place. And he actually wants to draw near to you in that place. See, throughout the Bible, there are these laments. Lamentations is just a book of it. But Job, if you know the story of Job, Job lost everything. Like literally everything. He lost family, wealth, house, health, all of it. Everything but his life he lost. And he laments. And he pours out his soul to God. He doesn't hold back. And his journal, if you were to read it, you'd probably be shocked. Because you'd be like, wow, I didn't know you could say that to God. But, God, but God, God takes it, and God listens, and he's not like, he's okay with it. Throughout the Psalms, you see the, the Psalms of lament, where people are pouring themselves out 
There's questions being asked. Questions about God. Question, where, where were you, God? What was going on, God? What is happening in my life? And it should be an encouragement to us today. It should be a real encouragement to you today, especially if you're going through a hard season. Especially if you're really dealing with some disappointment today. Especially if you're grieving a loss. This should be a deep encouragement to you today that God's okay with you voicing that. God is okay with you saying what you're thinking and you're afraid to utter those words. God's actually okay with you going there. See, but there's something about a lament. See, it's not just an angry tirade. It's not just an emotional explosion. It is actually the, the honesty of your soul being poured out with the understanding that God is faithful to his promises. See, every lament has this common characteristic. The motions, the rawness, they're real. They're, they're, they are very real and ask real questions and give language to real emotions of people who are in very hard situations, pain. I mean, think about it. The people of Israel, we read the Bible story that, yes, the the Babylonians came and he, the city was destroyed and the temple was destroyed and they were taken into exile. Hold on for a moment. Wait a second. Whoa, whoa, whoa. You mean an army came in with real weapons and wiped out real people. People lost loved ones. And then they were carried off in chains to live as slaves in another city. Yeah, there's some pain going on here. There's some real pain going on. There's some real loss. There's some real question happening. And in the midst of that, the people knew God enough to say, we know we can tell him. We know we can pour out. We know we can do that. But this lament, it always comes back to a place of hope. It always come back, comes back to this place where, you know what? God is faithful to his promises. And we're going to look at that, that psalm, that, I mean, that, that lament today in, in Lamentations 3. The place where it comes back to hope. There's five chapters in, in this book. And in the third one, here, right in the middle, there's something very profound that happens. It says in Lamentations chapter 3, beginning in verse 17, hear the, the language that they're speaking. Just, if you're in a hard place, listen to how honest and real this is. Peace has been stripped away, and I have forgotten what prosperity is. I cry out, my splendor is gone. Everything I had hoped for from the Lord is lost. Everything. You ever felt like all the things that you were believing for in God, they're not happening, and you're like, what is going on with my life? What is actually happening? God, I've been believing you for big things, and it feels like all of it's lost. My life feels like I don't even know which way is up. This is where they're at. The thought of my suffering and my homelessness is bitter beyond words. I will never forget this awful time. In other words, they're saying, is this just my life? This is just the way it is. It's just always going to be this way. This is my lot. I'm going to grieve over my loss. This is just how it works. This is how it is. See, when we go through times like this, one of the, the natural defaults of us 
is to, to pour this stuff out. We usually do it with a friend, which is fine. We want to be able to do that. That's why when we say, hey, we want people to connect in, in homes and, and experience life group is because you need people in your life that you can talk about the hard seasons that you're going through. You need those people. You need to be able to pour that out. You need to be able to talk it out. You need to be able to process what's going on in a safe space where you can maybe say some things that you're still wrestling through. You're not fully concrete on, but you're just trying to work it through. And so you need somebody to talk to. You need that space. You know, but usually what I've found to be true for myself is many times that I will process it out with people and I will talk it to death in my head. But I never actually express it to God. See, what we're doing when we do that is we're asking questions. We're doing a form of lamenting, but we're not actually going to the one who can give answers. We're not actually going to the ones who can give real, true comfort, who can meet that place, who can draw near to that place. And for me, I, you know, maybe this is true for some of you too. See, for me, I never knew I could be that real with God. I didn't know that he was okay with, with me letting it, letting it out, being a little messy. I didn't know that it was okay that I could go in the woods and scream at God and say, I don't know what's happening in my life right now. I thought you were going to do this. Why am I here? What is happening? Where are you? I didn't know that was okay. See, because religion tells us we've got to put on a face, even with God. But relationship, the, the not doing distance, tells us that be real, be honest, be true, and yet still remember that God is faithful to his promises. And that's a hard place to get to. But if you're going to talk to yourself about the things that are going on, do what this writer says. It, it rants. It tirades. It says, my, my peace is gone. Prosperity has gone. This is the lot of life that I have. I'm in an awful time. This is just the way that it is. And then it turns a corner. Even for a moment. Even for a moment. Because where we're not going to read is that they go back into the lament. But for a moment, it turns a corner and it reminds, reminds himself, yet I still dare to hope when I remember this. The faithful love of the Lord never ends. His mercies never cease. Great is his faithfulness. His mercies begin afresh each morning. I will say to myself, the Lord is my inheritance and therefore, I will hope in him. A lament always turns the corner. And guys, let's just be real. If in our emotional pain, if we don't ever turn the corner to be able to say, I still dare to hope again, we're not ever leaving that emotional pain. The season may change, and it may feel like it grows a little softer, but you never got out of it. If you can't come back to the place where you say, you know, I still dare to hope again. The faithful love of the Lord endures forever. Great is his faithfulness to me. I believe his mercies are going to be new to me today. I believe he's going to meet with me today. I believe he's going to draw near to me today. No matter how I'm feeling, no matter what I'm experiencing, God's going to be near. God's going to draw near. If we can't ever turn that corner, then we don't ever leave this, this place. 
we stay here. And we get better and better at putting on the right mask to fool people that we've moved out. But the reality is our soul is still there. And when your soul stays there, you turn into, you t- it turns bitter. It turns bitter and you just stay there. But when you're able to say, even when it's hard, even when the grief is in your face, even when it feels like there's no way out, you look and you say, I still dare to hope. I still dare to hope. Maybe you know somebody who's going through something right now. Maybe the dare you need to give them is I dare you to hope. I dare you to hope. Let's hope together. Let's hope together. Let's believe together. Let's believe that this thing is not going to be the way it's going to be forever. Let's, let's believe that there's better days coming. Let's believe that this is not the end of your story. It's just part of the story. Let's believe that the best is truly yet to come. See, there's an encounter that Jesus has in John 11. And the kind of the precursor to where we're going to jump in in the story is that some of Jesus' best friends send him a letter. They send him a carrier pigeon. They send somebody on donkey. Somehow they get word to Jesus that one of his best friends, Lazarus, has gotten sick. And his two sisters, Martha and Mary, send him this letter and say, hey, you got to come. Lazarus is really sick. And this is not like he's got a head cold. It's like, no, he's sick. Like, things are bad. We're not sure what's going to happen. Jesus, we know who you are. These are some of Jesus' closest relationships. We know who you are. We know what you can do. You've got to come. You would think people with the inside track to Jesus who knew how to get a letter to him would expect Jesus to show up. But Jesus gets it and says, hey, Lazarus is sick. Let's hang out here for a little longer. Let's hang out in this place a little longer. His disciples didn't have a clue what was going on, but let's jump into the story and see what happens. Because I think sometimes this is what our story feels like. God, we need you to show up. We're calling out to you. We're sending our letter. We're praying it in. And this is what it can feel like. Then he said, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but now I will go wake him up. And the disciples, they thought Jesus meant Lazarus was simply sleeping, but Jesus meant that Lazarus had died. And so Jesus says, hey guys, listen, I'm not going to walk four days to just go wake Lazarus up from a nap. He's died, so we're going to go check out what's going on. And he goes on to tell them, he says, and for your sakes, I'm glad I wasn't there. For now you will really believe. Come, let's go and see him. So it says, Jesus arrived at Bethany, and he was told that Lazarus had already been in his grave four days. Four days. Jesus gets the letter when Lazarus is sick. He hangs out where he's at. And by the time he gets there, Lazarus has been dead four days. Can you imagine what Mary and Martha are feeling right now? Can you imagine the pain, the grief, the trouble, the disappointment, the questions, the the thoughts that are swirling, the, the chaos of emotion that they're feeling? I think you can because I think you've been there. Maybe it wasn't your 
your brother died. For some of you, it might have been someone died. But there's that question. There's the chaos. There's the turmoil. And you're wondering, God, where are you? We've been crying out. Where are you? What is going on? It says Jesus shows up and there's, there's lots of people there. goes on to say that Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if only you'd been here, my brother wouldn't have died. Do you feel comfortable enough with God that you can look him in the face and say, Lord, where were you? Lord, where were you? I've been going through some stuff, and I've, I don't, it doesn't seem like you're here. I've been walking through this time, and I'm not sure where you are. God's inviting you into a, a, an intimacy of relationship where you feel like I can look him in the face and say, where have you been? It doesn't feel like you've been close. It doesn't feel like it because I was expecting this outcome. And usually the reason it doesn't feel like God's been close, because God doesn't do distance. God's drawing near to you in whatever you're going through. Sometimes the reason we feel like God hasn't shown up is because instead of living with an expectancy for God to move, we live with some very clear expectations on how God must move. And so we find ourselves going, God, you didn't show up because you didn't meet my expectations. See, expectancy versus expectations are two very different things. I live with a sense of expectancy that I'm on the look for God to move. But if I live with expectations on God, then he's got to meet a set parameter for me. And if he doesn't, then I wonder, where were you? I had a plan, God. You didn't show up and do your end of the bargain. Sometimes that's the way it works. Sometimes life happens. And we just experience pain. And we just go through seasons where we're wondering, God, where are you? But God's inviting you, if you're there today, into a place where you can look Jesus in the face and you can say, God, where are you? Where are you? Because Martha asked the question, Lord, if you would have been here, this wouldn't have happened. Do you see that? She knows who he is. Lord, if you would have been here, this wouldn't have happened. You know, I, I know who you are. And I know that God will give you whatever you ask. And then Jesus says something to her that I think might have ticked her off. She says, he says, your brother will rise again. And she's like, yeah, I know. He'll rise when everyone else rises on that last day. Have you ever had a friend give you the right answer? You're going through some stuff. And they look at you and say, hey. God works together, all things for good. And you're like, shut up. <laughs> See, Jesus gives Martha the right answer. She didn't want to hear it at that moment. And I know that sometimes that happens in life. Sometimes well-intentioned people say the right thing, but it feels like at the wrong time. Maybe what you needed is someone to just sit with you rather than tell you something. But let me encourage you that when someone tells you the right truth, even if it feels like it's in the wrong, wrong, wrong season, don't throw out good truth. 
Don't throw out good truth. Good truth will always set you free. Good truth will always implant hope into your heart, even if it's hard to hear, even if you can't see how it's going to happen yet. Jesus says, your brother will rise again. And she's like, yeah, yeah, I know. Good. This is all going to work out for good. I get it, Jesus. And he's like, no, 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 no. You didn't hear me. I am the resurrection in the life. You're looking for something. It's right here in front of you. You're looking for hope. He's breathing in your face. He's right here. I'm right here. See, because Martha, I make dead things come alive. Things get around me that are losing life, and they all of a sudden get life. See, this is the hope that Jesus is trying to instill, even when we're in this place of pain, even when we're in this place of disappointment, even when we're walking through stuff and we can't quite figure out which way is up. This is what he's wanting you to see, is that he's the resurrection and the life. He's the one who's going to bring this thing to full circle, even though you can't see how it's going to end, even though you're not sure which way it's going to go, he's saying, I'm the one who's going to bring this thing back to life. And so he weeps with Mary and Martha, and he looks at the people, and he says, roll away the stone. Roll away the stone, and yet it's still too hard to grab hold of. And I think some, maybe somebody in here is, is going to respond like Martha. It's, this is feeling good. Yeah, maybe this can happen until Jesus says, roll away the stone. Until Jesus really says that there's a better day coming, that a miracle is going to happen, that breakthrough really is right around the corner for you. That the shift is going to take place. And Martha yells out, don't. The smell is going to be too bad. I want to let you know that the smell is not going to be too bad. What was Martha saying? She was saying, I don't. I don't really know if this is really going to happen, Jesus. Don't, don't put me out there again. I don't know if I can handle another disappointment, Jesus. So instead of risking, instead of believing, it's more comfortable to stay right here. See, there's going to come a day where you're going to have to risk again. You're going to have to believe again. You're going to have to put yourself out there again. There's going to come a day where that's going to happen. Where God's going to say, roll away the stone. It's time to make this dead thing come alive. It's time to bring something back. It's time for me to do a new thing. It's time for the better days to come today. And what we have to be careful of is saying, oh, gosh, I don't know if I'm ready to risk. God, I'm going to back up. I don't know if I'm ready for that yet. See, when Jesus says it's time for the stone to roll away, it's time for us to be up there helping push it out of the way. <laughs> Say, God, would you come and would you meet? Would you show up? Would you do what you want to do? I don't know how it's going to make me feel. I don't know how it's all going to go, but I want to be there in the midst of it. I want to see Lazarus walk out. I want to see those grave clothes ripped off. I want to see the new thing. I want to believe God big. I want to step in. I may be going through some stuff right now, but I want to be honest with God about what I'm going through. And I want to turn that corner to say, I still dare to hope. Today's the day where we say, I still dare to hope. Today's the day where no matter what you've been walking through, because I know that you, some of you walked in today and the stuff you're going through is very real. It is painful, it is hard, it is confusing. You're not sure why it's going on or what's gonna happen through it. But today's the day where you say, I still dare to hope. 
no matter what tomorrow brings because his mercies will be new tomorrow. His mercies will be new tomorrow. Great is his faithfulness to you. But today's the day where we turn that corner, where we take a moment to where we stand to our feet and we say, God, I still dare to hope. So let's do that. Will you stand to your feet this morning?